Magnus Halvorsen started 2020 Bulkers to create value for customers and investors through safe and reliable operations of a top modern fleet bought at the right price at the right time. In this episode, we cover the initial idea behind the company and its unique features, Magnus' view on the dry bulk market today and the predictions ahead, his views on China, Brazil and the US, why he has invested in esports and the biggest lessons learned so far, and the future of shipping when it comes to regulations, technology, and growth. Let's start the show. Quarter is the new way of doing company research. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world straight to your pocket. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Quarter is 100% free. They include companies from 15 markets today and plan to add more over time. They always prioritize requested companies which users can easily do in the app. Users can also leave reactions while listening to the conference calls to make their voice heard. So check out Quarter. Q-U-A-R-T-R. All opinions expressed by Christopher Vonheim or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of BIN. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christopher Vonheim as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Welcome back, everyone. I'm super excited to have Magnus joining for a second time. And Magnus, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having us for the second time, Christopher. It's nice to be here. Let's go back or let's go back to, to the idea for people who haven't heard the first episode about the company, which, in my opinion, seems it was founded on this great opportunity and even more like a finance opportunity or than a, more than a shipping opportunity. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, for, for those who don't follow the shipping markets, um, I mean, this is a market where you essentially are involved, depending on what type of shipping you are in, in transporting 90% of, of all the goods in the world. So it's, it's, uh, it's a business that's critical for, for cargo flow. And, 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 and in that sense, everyone um, is, is subject to what goes on without really knowing what, what, what is going on. Um, I, th- I think it's a highly cyclical business where if you invest at the right time, uh, historically, you've been able to make a lot of money for your shareholders. And unfortunately, if you get it wrong, there's a lot of companies that have gone bust. And I think um, what prompted us to start this company in 2017 was um, the market had been through a downturn, which at the time had lasted for maybe eight years, uh, where the value of the type of ships that we have had dropped from, call it $180 million. uh, And we uh, saw an opportunity to order these ships uh, at the lowest price ever for uh, around $46.5 million. Um, so we have a fleet of so-called Newcastle Max. It's the most modern fleet of any listed rival company in the world. Um, we um, have a ship type that's slightly larger than the typical ship they compete with, a cape size. 
which combined with the fact that they're using less fuel means we are earning a significant premium of around 35% to a standard type cape size. Um, and then we saw that if you're able, you're going to be able to, to make a good return in this market, it's critical to build a lean organization with a low cash break even. So we have only four people, um, in addition to myself, employed in the company, um, which means we have low GNA costs. We have um, an attractive financing package, which we're uh, just in the process of refinancing now, reducing the cost of our bank debt from 250 to 210 basis points. And all of this gives us um, a cash break even um, uh, for GNA, OPEX and debt service of around 14,500 a day. And the business idea is quite simple. We ordered at the historical low, and then we're going to stay disciplined and pay out the money as we earn it. Um, today, the ships that we have are earning approximately $45,000 a day in the spot market. So if you look between forty-five and, and 14000 there's a lot of cash flow. And we pay that out on a monthly basis. And I think even if this company hasn't been in existence for that long, we got the last ship delivered because it takes about two years from the time you order to, to the time you get your first ship. The last ship we got delivered in, in June last year. We've already paid back close to 50% of the equity that was put into the company. So 48% of what's been invested here is already paid out back to the shareholders. And uh, of course, we're in a market that's fairly volatile, like most shipping. But take, for instance, um, October dividend, um, which um, will be paid out uh, within a few days. Uh, we declared 49 cents per share. I mean, I'm not saying you should, but if you annualize that, that's a run rate yield of 50%. So it kind of shows you that uh, when the market's good, we can create a very, very good return. And I, I think what we wanted to do different with this company than a lot of our competitors um, is to say that we, we are happy to invest at a point and then do nothing from there other than running the ships as well as we can. We don't need to be a bigger company. We don't need to have a growth strategy. Um, it doesn't create any value in itself. And I think one of the things we did um, when, when we started this was to look at the previous cycles because it's, it's quite scary. If you invested in, I guess, the average tribal company in 2002, 2003, you would have made a lot of money up until 2008, 2009. And then the majority of those companies, uh, the equity is completely diluted from um, refinancings and, 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 and equity offerings. And I think the reason is not because the drywall business is a bad business, but you need to manage risk. And what you cannot do is to keep on buying ships as you know the rates get better because you're going to have to pay more for the ships. The, you have to resist the temptation that the banks will actually come and give you cheaper financing and they'll give you more financing when the ships are more expensive. So that's why we wrote down a couple of simple rules when we, we created the company and, and we've stuck to them. Um, and it's, of course, even if we, we had the plan, we've had some curveballs along the way. I mean, we, uh, we came into 2020 quite positive on the market and then COVID hit, uh, which, of course, became an, a stress test for the whole idea. Um, uh, we, what we did, we luckily had our low cash break even, which I talked about. 
And uh, we decided to take cover on, on six of our eight ships for the balance of the air. So we were the only drivable company in the world, to my knowledge, that's listed. I'm not talking about the private companies that did not lose money any single quarter last year. So we do have a, we're in it for the upside, but we also have a platform that can take bad markets. And we think about managing risk. Uh, and we also, which I think is a benefit of, of only having eight chips, we're able to turn around. If something unforeseen happens, we can turn around, we can take over. Um, and, and that's what we did. That's a, that's a perfect summary. Since we talked, uh, I think it is pretty exact one year ago. What has surprised you the most during this year? Any particular events or something like that? No, I think we, we have been and we still are positive to the market, but I think the market's been uh, stronger this year than uh, than we would have thought. I mean, we, we've had times where standard cape size have been making 85,000, then we're making kind of 110, 120,000, again, against that 14,000 cash break even. So uh, I think uh, although we were positive, we didn't expect that uh, that the market could get that strong, but that just shows you that we're in a fundamentally uh, tighter market. Uh, I think the second thing which has been a surprise is um, you know, the amount of cold trade that's been going on. Uh, of course, we the world is on a, a, a joint mission to decarbonize, and you know uh, there's clearly a lot more investments going into uh, renewables relative to what we've seen in the past. And, and I think if you ask me in January, I would say. Uh, I was probably not as negative as everyone else, but I, I would say that coal is going to go down as part of the energy mix. There will still be some growth because there's still um, coal plants being built out in Southeast Asia, in China. Uh, but what happened was essentially uh, we've had an energy shortage and um, particularly uh, LNG prices have spiked through the roof. So we've seen... Uh, European utilities switching from from gas to coal, um, and we're not even into the full winter season. So it, it's still an interesting time where um, China, who's hugely reliant on coal, they're at around 15 days of consumption on the large power plants. They're typically at 20, 25 this time of year. Uh, India has been down at critically low levels. So net-net, we've seen the coal trades grow by around 7% this year. Uh, that's something I think people didn't expect. I'll, I'll just make a note also that I, I talk a lot about coal now. We don't actually transport a lot of coal, but we compete with standard cape size ships that do. I think less than 5% of our cargoes, around 5% since we started, has been, been coal. But that impacts the market um, a lot. Um, and I think another if not surprise, kind of a surprise is as the market got as good as it got, usually you'd have seen a lot more ordering. So when people see that earnings are there, they tend to order more ships and they never learn. Um, I think it was maybe more luck than anything that the container market took off nine months ahead of the bulker market. Uh, and there's been a mass of ordering in containers, which has booked up all the yard slots. Uh, so if you went to order a dry bulk vessel today, a large dry bulk vessel like we have, uh, you can hardly get the delivery within 2024. 
So the fact that the same year we have ships at times earning 110,000 a day and no one ordering ships because of the long delivery times and, and the art slots, I think that's that's something I wouldn't have predicted. How easy is it to quickly start a new yard? Because we often talk about that the capacity at the yards, and there are a couple of famous ones or a lot of famous ones, but just in, in general, how hard is it to just start a new yard if you see that you can have a lot of orders coming in? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think over time, if 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 the market gets tight and pricing is there, you know, you will see capacity added. But if you look at the last upturn from 04 to 08, 09, a lot of greenfield yards were built in China. I mean, yards that literally did not exist were taking orders. Um, but a lot of those blew up as well. And uh, and the financial institutions, which have given the refund guarantees, were the ones that were left with the bills. So since then, I think you've seen a consolidation of the Chinese yard industry. The state groups are now consolidated to one. And effectively, uh, credit support uh, through the banks giving refund guarantees are only given to a smaller amount of yards. So I've seen some different numbers, but it's estimated that uh, Chinese yard capacity is probably 30% lower now than it was at the previous peak. Um, The other thing that's happened is even if new building prices have gone up a lot, um, the arts are still not making a decent margin. It's not a very profitable business because they, they've only been able to take prices up with this kind of cost inflation, which is quite high on, on labor in, in China these days, uh, the increase in steel prices. And then um, the yuan has, um, has strengthened against the dollar. Um, so I, I think that... You know, you could potentially see new capacity added, but not over the next couple of years. And and I've been traveling around in some of these areas where there are yards, and it's not like they're all sitting there and are ready to be turned off, uh, turned on. You know, a lot of them have been rezoned for residential purposes, and the capacity that was there literally is not there anymore. So, so that's probably the thing, not only for dry bulk, but for for a lot of shipping in general that makes me the most positive is. Uh, the order books are historically low in certain segments. For, for our segments, it, uh, it's around 6 6.5%. There's nothing really you can do about it for the next couple of years. Um, so we, we, we'll, we'll see what happens. Korea really isn't competitive for the type of ships that we are building. Japan builds much less in volume, and they typically serve domestic markets. Uh, so I'm, I'm extremely positive on the supply side outlook for the next couple of years. And maybe in the same argument, you can just add on the technology piece as well, just to get the full closure on that one. Uh, absolutely. So um, the IMO has a goal to decarbonize um, uh, by the carbon intensity, not not the actual emissions, by 40% from a baseline in 08 to 2030. Um, and we are getting some new rules implemented uh, January 2023 called EEXI and CII, which regulates the amount of CO2 you can uh, emit per, per ton of, of, of goods transported. Um, so everyone understands that we, we need to decarbonize, but uh, it's, it's not a straightforward um, solution how to do it. Um, You, of course, have LNG, which I think will play an important role, but it's also a significant investment. Our ships today, if you were to order them, 
um, for delivery in late 2024 probably cost you 67 million dollars ordering the same ship with lng is probably 82 million dollars um and um uh, then of course uh, on, on energy parity there's a bit of fuel saving with lng but today because of these dislocations in uh in energy markets lng is a lot more expensive than traditional fuel so uh, although it might be the right thing to do it's 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 not obvious economically and then people talk about ammonia and hydrogen we think it's going to be a long time uh, before that's a, a reliable solution um, and also you need the bunkering infrastructure so you're sort of in limbo where even if you are a ship owner who wanted to order something uh, and have a yard slot um, if you're going to get the ship two three years out and it's going to live for 20 25 years hopefully you want to make sure you get it right so we actually feel quite good about where we are having the most modern of uh, uh, or I guess the, the old uh, diesel-based engines. Um, so we we are kind of 20% better on emission than the standard Cape size, which I like to, to, to reference as the legacy fleet. Um, we've actually done a study with, um, uh, with our class uh, agency ABS, suggesting we are in the top 8% percentile. Um, and there will be a renewal of the fleet. There will be, you know, new fuel technologies. But it's going to be a long transition. It's it's a market with 1,750 ships. There's an order book of 100 today, and you could probably go out and order maximum of 10 ships that would come by by 2024. So I think where you really uh, want to be careful, in my opinion, is if you own older, less fuel efficient ships, because they will have regulations that they might struggle to meet. Uh, and I think there will be a a two-tier market uh, or several-tier market, depending on your carbon footprint and developing, where, where the more efficient ships will be favored by the large charters who are actually putting in place their own ambitions that are stricter or more ambitious than the, the IMO. Uh, and you should also get paid more. So that's why we're actually, right now, we're trying not to fix ships beyond, much beyond January 1st, 2023, because we think the relative value of our ship to a legacy standard cape size is going to be greater. Uh, that's super interesting. I think in technology, you often talk about the, uh, you have one idea that it's it's great to be the first mover, but you have an un, uh, other argument that it's great to be the last mover to understand the market and not get caught in, in betting on the on the wrong technology. But just to, to add on that, um, that argument, how will this play out if you look at it from a game theory perspective? Because everybody's on the fence, don't know which technology they're going to bet on. And we know that shipping is very cyclical, it goes up and down. So if you have to forecast the next 5, 10, 15 years, how will this play out in the end? I don't. I, th I think you need some greater incentives uh, for, for change and they need to be financial. So I think we need and I think you will get the carbon tax. And I think it needs to be pretty high to really make a difference. Um, because as I said, LNG, you're maybe cutting 20% uh, CO2 compared to what we have, but we again are 20% better than, uh, than a Baltic index type, uh, type case size. You, you need to punish uh, the ones that are, are, are less environmentally friendly and, and you need to stimulate um, financially those who, who want to take the next step. I think LNG, you know, we know it works. 
uh, there is bunkering infrastructure out there. So I think that will play a very important role for the next couple of years. Um, I am not a technical expert, but I'm lucky to have some technical experts around me. Um, and I'm sure there will be prototypes, you know, much before that. But I think it's going to take yeah, uh, five, probably closer to 10 years before really um, Amon and these things become uh, a reliable solution when you have actual bunkering infrastructure in place. If you, if you had to be very honest now, are you very happy that you have a very simple business case that you don't have to take those decisions or no? I, I actually, because it's, 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 uh, you have to have a, like, uh, we set up a plan and we're trading the plan. And uh, I think we didn't make the plan by accident. We, uh, we studied historical cycles uh, and of course, History oftentimes rhymes in cyclical industries. It's it's never exactly the same. Um, but I, I think the fact that, you know, there were times we started ordering these ships at, at 46 and a half million. And, you know, we had chances to order more ships and we were offered good slots and everything. And of course, they were tempting. But just to say, no, we don't do that. We, we stick to the plan. I think when we got into COVID, for instance, you know, we were, we were quite happy that we then had everything delivered uh, more or less and, and and we had the chartering structure in place where we could convert to fixed rates etc um so we um, no we, we like the way we run our business um and and i think also uh, the stock market seems to appreciate that you know there's been times where we've been priced significantly higher than other companies on a asset value basis um uh, and I don't see that as a problem. I see that more as an endorsement that people like the transparency and they like the fact that they get the cash flow out. Uh, just final questions before we wrap up. If you look at next year, 2022, do you have any predictions or milestones you look forward to, to the next year since we're ending this year soon? Um, no, I think we are we are pretty positive. I mean, if you look at how we positioned our fleet shipping-wise, we have... Uh, all ships on index charters. Uh, not to say that we, we, we perhaps don't take some cover just to get our cash break even even lower down, but we are positive to the market. I think the main arguments are uh, the third year of, of lower fleet growth consecutively. Um, I mean, in, in uh, deadweight tons added to the fleet, it's almost half next year or what we had this year. Um, then I, I think, as we talked about, that you're going to see a pickup in activity in China based on um, stimulus that's happening now, which will start to take effect in, in Q1, Q2, uh, the end of the Olympics, and, and I guess the end of winter, so people have some power to run their steel mills. Um, and, and I guess what am I looking forward to? I'm hoping that by next year, we will have paid back everything that was put into the company, so that. Uh, the people who came in and supported every equity offering have gotten all their money back. Um, that will depend on the market. But if we've done that by, by 2022, I think we'll be very happy. And then I hope we, if, 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 if we get the curveball and something bad happens in the market, that, um, that we will show again that we have the lowest cash break even in the industry and we're able to take cover and, and we'll you know, protect the company until the market comes back again. Is it fair to say that the likelihood of you selling the company is higher in a great market, but it shouldn't really be like that if you had to be 
blunt about when it's the right time to buy ships. You should really buy ships in low parts of the cycle, not high, but still you tend to buy in, in good times. Um, for someone to buy, I guess it's probably more likely because credit is generally looser in uh, uh, in a good market. And in a good market, maybe you have uh, other companies that are trading at the premium and, and, and they could uh, buy us with the currency. But uh, we don't really, if, if it comes, we can respond very quickly, but we, we don't sit around waiting for it. Day to day, we focus on running the ships. And um, if someone comes, we'll we'll give a quick answer. That's perfect ending, Magnus. Thank you so much for for joining. It was a pleasure having you on again. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Hi everyone, Christopher here again. Just a few things before you leave the show. If you liked this episode, it would be great if you could give it a review and also share it with your professional network. If you want to get in touch with me. Twitter is the place, just go to at Chris Wunheim. You can also find this information in the show notes. Hope to see you tune in to the next episode and take care.